0: Welcome to Peace Lab, the podcast focused on faith, current events, and peacemaking from a Mennonite perspective. I'm your host, Jason Boone, and today I'm talking with Donna Minter. Donna is the founder and executive director of the Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute. Our topic today is trauma. How does it affect our lives as individuals and as communities? How does it rob us of our peace, and how can we reclaim it? Thanks for joining us today. Enjoy our conversation with Donna. Donna. And I am so happy today to be talking with my good friend, Donna Minter. Donna is the founder and executive director of the Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute. Good afternoon, Donna.
1: Good afternoon. It's good to be with you, Jason. Thank you.
0: Always good to talk to you. I'm really excited about our conversation today. I think our Peace Lab podcast listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Let's set the table first and tell us a little bit about the Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute. What do you all do? What kind of services do you provide? Give us the big picture.
1: Okay. Well, we do community-based trainings and events, um, primarily in Minnesota, although we have gone other places uh, to provide these trainings. And our trainings, the focus of our trainings and events is to give people very practical, productive strategies to transform psychological trauma into nonviolent power.
0: That is a mouthful so, when you're, when you're, uh, if someone asks you on the elevator or wherever and they say, Hey, well, what do you do? Uh, and you try to translate for them, what what does that mean to, to have strategies for, to oppose nonviolent power? Uh, how can you break that down for us?
1: Yeah. Well, um, Often that's exactly what I say when they ask what the Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute is about. I say, you know, we teach strategies to transform psychological trauma into nonviolent power, and we do that in a number of different ways. Um, We do that with um, single and multi-day trainings that we offer in the community. Um, Kind of the keystone training that we offer is a -a four-and-a-half-day training called Strategies for Trauma Awareness and Resilience or the STAR training that was uh, developed uh, literally in the months um, after 9-11, after the tragic events of 9-11. So we offer that training to the community um, and we've been doing that since 2010. And then we also do some single day trainings. One is called, is, is uh, kind of a sh- very shortened version of the STAR training called Starlight learning strategies for trauma awareness and resilience in a single day. And then we also do, because um, really the foundation, much of the foundation of the star and starlight training are concepts of restorative justice. We do uh, a training called Restorative Justice 101, training for practice in everyday life. Um, And then we also do a monthly peace building film series that's free to the community where it's offered at a a local cafe that is social justice, really has a mind for social justice causes and um, we offer that, show different films um, for the benefit of the community where people can come and watch the film and then have a discussion about how can we take what we learned and what our discussion has been about and really do peace building in the community. Um, Really, Jason, we come at this work because, you know, oftentimes I'll have people say, well, help me help me understand what you mean by trauma and peace building and how you put those concepts together. And very simply, I say, you know, when terrible things happen, our peace has been stolen from us. And we want to build peace back into our lives. And so that's what our organization does. We teach um, peace building strategies so that we can do nonviolent direct action, on an individual basis as well as a collective or community basis in our community.
0: I love that, and I've had some relationship with START training in the past, and I see it as just a vital peacemaking tool. My question would be to you then, so who is this for? You're you're talking in broad terms, and I love that, that we're we're trying to reclaim the peace that may have been stolen or, or taken from us in our personal lives or in our communities. But the programs you run and the STAR model and the other things, are these for clinicians? Is it, Do you need to be a psychiatrist to best leverage these tools? Or how, how who can access these and put them to good use?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, you know, what I will say is when people take our trainings, they go, oh, my gosh, everybody needs to have this. So although in Minnesota we have um, gotten all of our trainings approved for continuing education credit, for teachers, nurses, um, and all mental health providers here in Minnesota, as well as our single-day trainings. Our um, attorneys can earn an, uh, CLEs, or continuing legal education, for our trainings. However, about only about, so far, about 25% of our um, trainees um, are from our li- licensed professionals. I would say easily 75% of the folks that come to our trainings are people in the community that are, many of them are working in nonprofit organizations. Um, we have clergy come, but we also have, I've had landlords and business people, massage therapists, artists people that are not only want to use these strategies to be able to figure out how can I interact with people in the world and build peace within my sphere of influence. So while we have people with many, many degrees and high levels of education like MDs and PhDs and licensed professional counselors and therapists. We also have people, many, many people that come from the School of Hard Knocks that say, I am out there on the street and working with people, with homeless people, with um, people at shelters, and I need these strategies to be able to help build peace within with the people that I work with.
0: Everyday peacemakers. You're, You're not boxing anybody out. These are tools that anyone can use. Can you talk a little bit more about that connection between trauma and and peacemaking? Or I guess uh, put it a different way, how does trauma lead to uh, disruption in peacemaking? How does trauma lead to violence? And uh, what kind of tools do you teach that can help individuals with themselves but also in their communities sort of help to build some resilience into that trauma to reclaim that peace, as you say so well?
1: Yes, well, um, that's the really that's one of the really exciting parts about um, the trainings that we do, particularly the STAR training and the STARlight training, because we talk about what happens in uh, the brain and the body when people become traumatized, and how that can set them up to either stay locked in the cycles of violence or if they know this, if they if they know the basics of what happens in our brains when we become overloaded, when we become victimized, then we can find ways to be able to um, um, self-regulate our emotions and to be able to move onto a path of strategies that are going to really make peace and build peace within our spheres of influence. Let me give you an example that I think will... We'll Will um, really highlight this. Just today, I was talking with the accountant of our nonprofit organization, and after we talked about um, the logistics of, you know, the annual report and budgets and all that kind of stuff, and making sure we have all our ducks in a row financially, she said, "You know, Donna, I am really struggling with how to interact with family members that." see things differently than I do with regard to um, the politics of our country. And I love my family members and I want to be in relationship to them, but I'm going to – like I went to Thanksgiving and all I was getting was just this – just them coming at me hard and fast with um, their side of the politics that and, – and I'm just feeling – I mean basically what she was describing to me is that she's fine, feeling victimized by this, by this kind of rhetoric. And, and so we talked about that, and we said, well, you know, Helen, what it sounds like you're experiencing is you're feeling victimized by that, and it's actually, in her case, she's talking about how it's affecting her health, because she's getting this loaded on there. So we talked about how when people um, when people get revved up in um, an emotional experience of something that they believe in very strongly, that in some cases, they they are intentionally trying to be mean to other people. Other times, they're just revved up emotionally. And so we talked about ways, very, very um, simple strategies of being able to have um, – really see themselves as a compassionate container to be able to listen to the other person without interrupting because people want to be – people like being listened to. So how can we – Very in a very nonviolent, caring way, listen to another person that has a different opinion than we do. So we talked about really kind of in front of ourselves envisioning a compassionate container where that person can just say whatever they need to say. And then she said, you know, that's a great strategy. However, it's really starting to affect my health. So then we talked about the strategy of what in STAR we call tolerance and coexistence, which means we decide, we tell the person, look, I care about you, I value you, but I, it makes me really sad and really ang- and, and upset when you say all these negative things to me. It, I perceive that you're being really mean to me, and I need to put a boundary around that because it's affecting my health. So. I want to be in relationship with you, but unless you're able to treat me with respect the way I want to treat you with respect, I'm going to have to put some boundaries around this relationship, and in some cases, that means people um, decide that they're going to choose not to be with family members um, who are being verbally abusive towards them. Um, for the holidays, so we talked about that, and how uh, how she could do that, and she was like, "You know, I think you 're right I think i 'm just going to have to say for a certain period of time, I cannot be around family members that are choosing to be verbally abusive to me because they have a different opinion so that's that 's a very practical strategy. We also talked about Um, uh, that one of the most powerful ways that we can um, or there are uh, several very powerful ways that we can as individuals um, really regulate our own emotion in those potentially volatile situations. And, And for people that come from a religious tradition, one of the most powerful ways that we can do that is to pray for the person. That is is that we're feeling angry at it. We're feeling upset about. So if wait, wait a
0: second, Donna. I have to stop you here. you're, yeah. you're recommending that we pray for our enemies. This is uh, revolutionary.
1: Uh, well, it is. And, <laughs> and, and, and no, uh, please uh, and, tell us more. Well, for our for our Christian uh, listeners here, and uh, for others uh, for other religions that include p- prayer as a way to to really move through life in a in a better fashion. Um, You know, as as a Christian, I mean, our organization is not a religious organization. Um, We invite anybody to the table, the Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute. And at the same time, I am a believer, a Christian believer from the Mennonite Anabaptist persuasion. And Jesus teaches me that I'm supposed to pray for my enemies. And what I have found is that one of the best ways to keep my heart From turning to stone, when I think about leaders that do not see the world the way that I want to see the world, one of the best ways to keep my heart from turning to stone is to pray for them. And I don't know what the Creator does with those prayers when I say them, but what I know is that I end up being transformed so that my heart is not stone and so that I can build do peace building within my own sphere of influence. So it really is what Jesus says, pray for our enemies. And I think in large part, what that does is it helps us create a space inside of our our bodies, our minds, and our spirits that allows us to do the work that we're to do in the world, um, regardless of what other people choose to do.
0: Right. And so what I hear you saying is that the the skills and the tools that you all provide they can do this on these personal levels and in interpersonal levels so you can reclaim your peace. I'll ask you, how can you apply these things to, if we talk about powers and principalities or talk about systemic injustice or, or some of the traumas that whole groups of people endure? I think about uh, natives in North America and uh, or other groups who've uh, suffered through long enduring historical wrongs. Right. Are there tools for them that come from the star model that, uh, that they can work not just for peace but for justice as well uh, in, the, in the light of what they've been through?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and one of the things that I think makes our trainings very unique compared to other, there's lots of trauma-informed trainings um, available in the community, certainly in Minnesota there are. And I'm not dissing those, I think they certainly have a place, but they tend to focus primarily on the traditional mental health model of psychological trauma. We include that at our trainings, but we don't limit it to that. So we we do talk about acute stress disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder and complex uh, stress disorder, but we look at trauma much broader. We look at it both as um, individual traumas as well as collective traumas, and the collective traumas include historical traumas, the legacy of slavery and racism that has happened as a result of that Subjugation of Native Americans and what has happened um, as a result of that, um, cultural traumas and then also structural traumas. And to your point about let's take um, our brothers and sisters from the Native American um, communities in this in the in the U.S. Right now we have the standoff at Standing Rock, and although right now it sounds like there's kind of a brief reprieve, that that what what STAR teaches for people that are in situations like that is how can I be nonviolent and be doing nonviolent direct action not only on an individual level but also in a collective level so that we can do this work together, that we can come together um, and Um, Well, actually at STAR we talk about how to break free from those cycles of violence, and the primary ways that we break free are finding safe places with supportive people, engaging in activities that help us mindfully regulate our emotions, and then Where's the leadership to make good choices? What are what are the people that rise up? And I would say what I have read, people that I know that have been to Standing Rock, I've been actually invited, I'm in conversation with a Native American psychologist friend of mine who wants to wants to help me find ways that we can bring the STAR um, model to people that are doing that peace-building work out there. But what I see happening out there is exactly what we teach in STAR, where they're coming together and the, the, the Native American elders and communities and allies are coming together, finding safety with one another, defining that for themselves being supportive of one another and then they're using things like prayer and meditation prayer circles as a collective body to then to do that together on a regular on a on a, on a, on a really on a regular basis out there to then say who the leaders in our community we want to support them to speak out about what are the next steps that need to happen so we can clarify what are the demands that we have. Um, So I I, I think uh, the, the folks that have taken Star and Starlight here in Minnesota, and I'm sure it's the same with the the program in Virginia, the Star program in Virginia, but people from all different backgrounds, no matter the kind of trauma that they have experienced, can look at this model and learn this model and go, This applies to my situation in the present moment, and it gives me very practical um, uh, strategies where I can move forward in a positive way.
0: Let's shift gears a second, staying on the same general path. Let's talk about violence, if we could, for a bit here, because I love what you're saying about how we can use these techniques to to reclaim our peace and then collectively figure out ways that we can reclaim peace and, and work together. A big part of uh, understanding – working for justice is understanding who you're working with. And when we encounter people who uh, – for whom violence is a sort of a natural or, or their first reaction to problems, yeah. sometimes we don't – especially for Mennonites and for pacifists, it seems like a strange thing. And we can't understand why people would, would go for that, for violence as sort of the first tool of relief. Um, but understanding Char- uh, Star, my limited experience is that it's, it's the trauma – that the trauma are the seeds that can lead to violence. Can you talk a little bit about how that happens? Where does trauma, how can that lead to violence? How do we recognize that? And then as peacemakers, how can we sort of engage with that maybe to help the folks who are dealing with this trauma act out in a different way as, as opposed to a violent way?
1: Okay, yeah. Well, basically at, what we teach at STAR is that when somebody has um, experiences a traumatic event, All of us, no matter what side of the political spectrum we are on, all of us, when we have an experience of trauma, experience the same physiological reactions to stress and trauma. Okay, there's a you know we're all human beings. We all have this physiological response that is essentially identical. There's the fight, flight, and freeze responses and when somebody then enters the victim cycle because they have had an experience of trauma they can have very different mental and emotional experiences um, as a result of that trauma. So trauma can look very different in different people. and. Um, And, you know, while people say, well, just get over it, just get over it. Well, there's good reasons why we can't get over it. And the reasons we can't get over it, number one, is this is a physiological, a biological process that happens inside of us, in our bodies, in our minds when this happens. But it also, the the reason that we can't just get over it or people get stuck in those cycles of violence is because humans are meaning-making people. We make meaning out of everything that happens to us. So people that only see violence, that see violence as the only answer, that revenge and violence is the only answer when when traumas happen or when bad things happen to them, that's their frame of reference. That's their understanding about the way the world works. And 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 then so that's what they're they're coming at the trying to deal with the bad stuff that's happening in the world with the, the only thing they know it's the only tools they have is to use violence. Um, and an example of, of when I, uh, what I heard specifically about this is I've had about a year and a half ago, I was asked to present about the STAR training and our nonprofit to the Minneapolis Police um, Chief and her Citizens Advisory Council. And that went very, very well. I'm still in uh, relationship with them and talking with them about how we might be able to provide these trainings to police officers. But in that process, I was asked to meet with the director of training of the Minneapolis Police Department. And as I sat down and I explained the two mod- the basic two models that we teach at STAR, which are the cycles of violence where when somebody becomes a victim and how e- easy it is for the victim then to turn into an aggressor. And then the third model is um, the, the, the STAR model of um, really moving out onto a different path outside of the cycles of violence. But when I explained that figure eight um, cycles of violence – model to the director of training of police department he just stopped me and he pointed to the model and he said this is what we're taught the way life is we all this is what we're taught that there is no other option that this is the way life is and I thought and I said to him that's because your frame of reference your worldview, is this is how we make meaning in our life that when people become victims they become aggressors and they create more victims. And then he's saying, As police officers, we're intervening to try to stop this. And I said, Yep. And th- the problem comes is that when more, when we intervene as aggressors, we only then create more victims. And he just sat back in his chair and was like, Wow. And then we went on and looked at the rest of the star model. And he was just shaking his head, like this is really a paradigm shift that what you're talking about. So back to your original question, why people that that are doing violence? I would say this is their worldview, and and one of the things that we can offer to folks like that is there's a different way to do this. Now some people they'll want to just keep doing that. Okay, they like right. revenge. This is what they want to do, but. I've talked to people like this, and I say to them, when they say, well, I like revenge, and I say, well, now you know you have a choice. This is not just the only way to respond when something bad has happened. And I've had people go, wow, I didn't know it was a choice. I thought it was the way it was, the way it is.
0: Everything you're saying uh, resonates so strongly, and your organization is so aptly named. It, it is peace building. All these things are, are so essential to to peace building, understanding ourselves, understanding our motivations, this human experience, this, uh, this search for meaning, it all seems to weave in together. Get, I have to ask, how did you get involved in this? Were, uh, you come from a clinical background, or what drew you into, into yes. this type of work?
1: Yeah, well, my background is as uh, I have a Ph.D. in clinical psychology. And my with rather than being a psychotherapist, I have specialized in neuropsychological um, evaluations. So I've done, uh, for years, done um, evaluations in an epilepsy clinic um, with kids and adults that have um, neurological as well as psychological disorders. I also um, worked with... Um, young people that found themselves entangled in the the criminal justice system. That's what I did after my my internship and postdoc in neuropsychology at the University of Minnesota. So, um, my background is neuropsychology, but then I also, because I started working with youth in the criminal justice system, I then went on to start working with adults in the criminal justice system as well. So I am also uh, have expertise in forensic psychology. So for 15 years, I have been doing evaluations for the courts, criminal responsibility evaluations and competency to stand trial evaluations. Basically helping judges understand um, if a person has a mental illness what do um... how does how should the the court proceed um... to educate um... really give information to judges and attorneys about um... if a defendant has a mental illness so i i came back from this brain body behavior relationship of neuropsychology and the criminal justice system and i back in uh, gosh 2001, actually, before 9-11, I was faced with a situation where um, a tornado went through the small town where I lived and worked um, in northern Wisconsin, and I was asked to volunteer on the Red Cross Mental Health Intervention Team, and I said, sure, I want to help out my neighbors. And I went there, Jason, and I was dumbfounded because I did not know how to be helpful. And I thought this there's something wrong with this picture I have all of this education (laughs) I have all of this clinical experience I have all of this book learning but I can't be helpful on the ground when my neighbors need need help so I that started me on a path for the next eight years seven or eight years trying to find some kind of trauma-informed training that really resonated with me to be helpful and then I was spending time with my psycho- one of my psychology mentors, Carolyn Holdred hagen who many of your listeners probably know and when I sat down with Carolyn and said, Carolyn I- I'm looking for something to take me to the next level in terms of the trauma-informed care and she just looked at me and she said, Donna you need to take STAR and I had never heard of STAR. And this was in October of 2008. So I did what she told me to do. And I um, actually, it was April of 2008. So in October of 2008, I went to Eastern Mennonite University where STAR was created. And I took the first STAR training. And I was halfway through the, the week, I was like, going, this is really different. Because not only is it trauma informed, but it's also resilient oriented and restorative justice-focused, and that is a really unusual combination. So I said to Elaine Zookbarge, my um, trainer, and uh, who was the director of STAR at the time, I said, you know, Elaine, I want to bring STAR to Minneapolis. Um, I bet you there are people in my community that would like to take STAR, but they can't afford to come all the way to Virginia to take this training. And she said, well, we've had organizations do that, but we've never had an individual do that. Um, but I said, well, I, I think I could pull this off. I think I could pull off doing one one star training in Minneapolis. So she invited me back to star level two, which I took in Harrisonburg. And then after that, we sat down and I said, um, you know, I still have this calling. And it really became a calling to me <laughs> to do this single day, to do the uh, uh, four and a half day star training in Minneapolis. So, um So anyway, on uh, let me see, it was January 2009. I hit the pavement and started talking to put together a PowerPoint presentation. And uh, any community group that would have me, I went and I talked to them. And um, as a result, um, I knew I also needed to to raise some money for scholarships so people who couldn't afford the training could also come. So I ended up raising $8,000. From family, friends, people from church, anybody. The um, Central Plains Mennonite Conference helped out with some scholarship funds so we could ensure that there would be at least two people from our local Somali community at the training. Um, And we had, and I hired Elaine to come up from Virginia, and I was her rookie sidekick assistant. (laughs) And we did that training with, we had, at that training, we had people from five different religious traditions, five different ethnic groups and at the end when frankly I thought I was done (laughs) they said you gotta do this again this is so unique this is so important and even though we come from different religious backgrounds we all agree on this it all makes sense to us so I took a deep breath and thought okay you know And as a person of faith I said God if this is if my community wants this and you're you're leading me you're calling me to do this I'll do this. Um, So now since that time, we um, came up with the name the Minnesota Peacebuilding Leadership Institute. We had initially a community advisory board, but now in, I think it was um, February of 2013, we got our 501c3 status, uh, nonprofit status. And um, and as of last month, we now have graduated on both our the star training and our single day trainings, we have now over a hundred. No, what am I saying? Over a thousand. We have a thousand and one graduates from our training.
0: Wow. That's a thousand and one yeah. peacemakers out there in, in different spheres. That's fantastic.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, and, and we have we have raised we have see we've um, you know we have some people that can come to our trainings that can pay the tuition no problem, and we welcome them to our trainings because we need them. We need them there as well, and we don't want economics to get in the way of people taking this training. So we have since the get go we've had a scholarship um, application process and. We have now given away over $75,000 in scholarship tuition assistance to our training. So, um, yeah, so we're always looking for donors to help us with that, Um, but but our organization is growing. Every year it grows more, Um, and so we're looking forward to providing this, to continuing to provide these services to our community.
0: And I, I can't emphasize enough how much I, I really encourage people, wherever they can get it. If they're, if they're in Virginia, they can go to EMU to start training. If they're uh, at a tra- near where you are or when you out travel for a training, you know, please get with Donna. This is really – it'll change your worldview. It'll change how you view people, and I think it'll make you uh, a better person and a better peacemaker. So how can people reach out and get in touch with you? Are, are there things on your website that people can – sort of interface with and connect with now if they can't get to a training? And then also, I guess I'd like to ask, are are there places across especially the Mennonite Church that you're going to be where people could connect with you?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we welcome anybody to visit our website that has all the information about our upcoming trainings that we're hosting here in Minnesota. um, We're grateful for a really simple website address, which is MN, like Minnesota, MNPeace.org, so please go to that and check us out. Um, you can email me at Donna at mnp.org um, if you'd like to get in touch with me directly. Information is also on the website. But the other thing that's really exciting is that um, a couple of places where I've been actually asked to go and do um, the single-day starlight training to give people really an un- introduction to what star has to offer. Um, and it's also a training that's very interactive, um, but the single-day starlight training, I've been asked by Heston College to be one of their plenary speakers at the Anabaptist Vision and Discipleship Series Conference, which is um, February 17th through the 19th in 2017 in Heston, Kansas. And then they've asked me to do the single-day starlight training for anybody who wants to take it on Monday February 20th 2017. So and we can take up to 50 people at that um, at the Starlight training. So um, as soon as I have that link I'll be sharing that with everybody I know in the Mennonite Church. Um, But uh, very soon the folks at Heston um, College will have that up on their website that people can then register for that training.
0: Right. Well, I plan on being in Heston. I look forward to sitting down with you again, Donna, and, and just talking and soaking up more of your wisdom here and your your inspiration. You really get me fired up uh, to see what happens when someone says, OK, I'm going to take these steps, even though I don't know where they might lead. And uh, everything that you've done so far testifies that that's that's a pretty good choice. I look forward to seeing you in Heston. Folks, go to the website. What is it? What is it again, Donna?
1: MNPeace.org.
0: Donna, thanks for taking time. We look forward to talking to you again. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Big thanks to Donna for taking time out of her schedule to talk with us. And thank you for listening. Peace Lab is a production of the Peace and Justice Support Network and the Mennonite, Inc. magazine and website. You can listen to this episode and all previous episodes at the PJSN website or the Mennonite website. You can also find us on Stitcher Radio and iTunes. Special thanks to Midnight Mission Network for sponsoring this podcast and to David Fisher Foss for our theme song.